On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talked to Jason Epstein uh, about his start in the game uh, growing up uh, in Miami, Florida, to his experiences as a collegiate player at New Mexico State, where um, he graduated from their professional golf management program, to the various stops he's made along the way at uh, various clubs and resorts, and to finally getting to his current position at the iconic Congressional Country Club outside our nation's capital. And we talk at length about the great history of Congressional, um, the uh, tremendous Andrew Green recent transformation of the golf course, which um, has gotten rave reviews across the board from everyone. And um, uh, we talk a little bit at the end, um, in particular, about what it takes to be uh, a successful golf professional. And um, that, in particular, I thought was was really interesting and really said quite well by Jason. Uh, but the whole hour was a lot of fun for me uh, as we wrap up our podcast for 2022 um, and hope you enjoy it as well. Um, so uh, up next... Uh, on the final episode of 2022 of Larry the Golf Guy, Jason Epstein of Congressional Country Club. Welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy, um, our final one for 2022. Um, and I'm really uh, pleased and honored to have with us um, Jason Epstein from Congressional Country Club, where he is director of golf and athletics. We'll get to the athletics part. It that indicates um, what a, uh, a, a this, the wide scope of Congressional Country Club for those who haven't been there, but we'll get to that. Um, hey, Jason, let me just thank you, first of all, for uh, making the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I was actually in the car with my kids yesterday and uh, was, we were done with football. It was too much football this weekend. So I turned on the comedy channels, which for a 13 and 15 year old, the serious comedy channels can be a little shaky. So I thought, what better uh, channel than uh, the Larry the Cable Guy? And uh, I'm <laughs> hysterically, and the kids are like, "Turn this off!" This is but uh, good stuff. It's always good, good to good to be uh, good to be here. No, thank you. So let's maybe just um, go back and just to give people a little context, kind of from where you came from and how you got into the game. So I understand you grew up in Miami, Florida. Um, maybe chat about that and kind of how you first got introduced to the game? Yeah, so I, I was born and raised in Miami. Um, my grandfather actually had a house in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and he lived on the second hole of a little golf course called Crooked Creek Country Club. It's, you know, just down off, off Canuga Road in Hendersonville, and it was, you know, the greatest golf course in the world to me for the first 10 years of my life, and I would just sneak on the second hole late at night and play it and just chip and putt, and uh, uh, thankfully there was no ranger on the golf course late at night. I probably got in trouble, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just I, I played in my front yard, played in my backyard, played over the neighbors' houses, uh, you know, watched golf on TV and took every tip Ken Venturi had on on TV to sure. hard on front and practice it. So I just was addicted to the game, addicted to the feel of uh, you know, it was a place you could be by yourself and it was uh, a lot of fun. You could challenge yourself, but also when you hit good shots, uh, there's nothing like it. So just uh that's how I got into it. You know, I had to beg my my mom and, and grandfather and family to take me to the golf course and be around it. So it's just something that's always been in my DNA and in being at a golf course or around the game of golf and at a golf club's kind of always been a part of me and a part of my life. 
Cool. Um, did you get into much junior golf or play on your high school team? Or I know you must have because you end up, you know, obviously playing in college, but I'm just sort of curious what your junior golf life was like. Yeah, I mean, I was I, I self-taught and I just hit a lot of balls and I had I was hit it hit long, hit it by 80 yards longer then than I do now. And so when you take technology into the equation, I'm about 130 yards shorter. Wow. Now, that's, that's amazing. I got to pause on that. Cause that's amazing. Uh, yeah, because that was... I, I, I go back and I mean, not, not so much. Now, when I go back to the course, I grew up in Connecticut when I would go back in my forties and, you know, with, with the uh, metal drivers versus the little persimmon guys, you know, used to play with and, and the old Bellata balls. Um, I could, you know, see the difference. So for you to have been that much longer, that's crazy. Yeah, I hit the ball a long way. Didn't I? I got very accustomed to hitting out of uh, the rough and around trees and over trees. So that that served me well. A good short game, but um, yeah. So I mean, you you know, it's you take it back to to what Miami and and you know, kind of being born and raised there with the with the technology changes, as you said. Um, but I kind of always, I was self-taught. And, and so with junior golf, I, I played in high school. I was on the all-county team for Miami. Um, scholarship offers didn't flood in. I had to kind of find my way onto a team at the University of Cincinnati, where I played for a year. Okay. And then from there, it was too cold. Like it was right from Miami, Cincinnati. It was way too cold. And I was like, I remember flying back for winter break. And it was just, I was like, what am I doing? It's 19 degrees outside. Like, I didn't think it could possibly be 19 degrees anywhere. And so, I, so I, and I, and I knew I wanted to be around the game. So after a year there of aspiring to be in politics, studying political science and playing on the golf team, which was a great experience. And I'm still close to uh, some of my teammates there for, for the one year I spent there to this day. I, I, I hired a, a counselor. It's like, Hey, listen, I want to be around the game of golf. I love the game of golf. I kind of, I know my game. I knew where my limits were. I was never a great junior player. I always got a lot out of my potential. Um, but you know, you could see the Phil Mickelson's and the Tigers and, and sure. David also the world playing in tournaments with him. You could see the talent level. And I was kind of always like, okay, I love people, love the game of golf and love leading. Like, I just knew that that was where I wanted to be. And so we, we, did some research on schools and programs and found this professional golf management program, which back in 1992 was in its infancy. There yeah. was only schools, you know, Ferris, uh, Penn state, uh, Mississippi state and, um, and New Mexico state. And so, you know, my, my joke is, you know, Ferris state was too cold. Penn state was too cold. There was no way a Jewish kid from Miami was going to Mississippi state. And so <laughs> New Mexico state was just, I got there and I remember my mother saying, look around, is this really where you want to move to? And I was like, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, your world's endless. There was a golf course that had hosted an NCAA championship on campus that I could go play every day. And what was neat is I wasn't guaranteed a spot on the golf team. Um, I actually had to walk on the golf team and, and create my own way and actually started this professional golf management tour, uh, won the first tournament at the end of the Mountain Gods and shot, I think, a 66. Wow. And I called into Herb Wimberly, who Herb is my coach and mentor to this day. He was the golf coach at the time. I got called into his office the next day and I, I, I was scared. I actually thought he was going to throw me out of school for starting this competing program and running the tour at the school. And he said, Hey, I heard you had a really good round yesterday. Yeah. He goes, I've been watching you and I really like to offer you a spot on the team. Nice. And yeah. So it was amazing. And you know, that experience in college and uh, just being around a bunch of golfers, many of which, you know, the guys I'm, I'm friends with to this day, a lot of them are still in the industry and uh, working in great positions and have done such great things for the game. 
Um, you know, it's you know a lot of a lot of my my colleagues go back to their high school days and, and growing up where they grew up. I, I always go back to New Mexico State. I always go back to school there and the relationships that I was able to forge around the game are just they're so special and they're the most meaningful to me to this day. Absolutely. And um, is I understand uh, in terms of college, uh, 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 people in college and golf, Rich Beam was your college roommate. Is that right? Yeah, Rich. Well, we lived next door to each other in what was called the Conoco Apartments. It was like the, the most rundown apartments uh, right on El Paseo. And there was just a Conoco station right in the middle of it. So we called it the Conoco Apartments. Um, and, um, you know, you might, you know, it was a, it was a bunch of golf guys that, that had a few apartments there. And um, we had some fun times. We had some fun times. I bet. I can imagine what the Beamer was like in college. Um, the uh, I can only imagine. Um, and you mentioned the PGM program. I'm glad you did. I mean, it is, um, we've had a few people on, um, most recently David Reisner, who went to Penn State. Um, and um, uh, I'm pretty sure Patrick Casey, who we both know, went to Ferris. Um, but um, it, it sounds like a great, great program. And I assume there were like internships involved with it and and stuff. Or how did how did that all work out? Yeah, it's a wonderful program. And just go back to the Beamer for a second. I just have to close it yeah, because sure. I think, you know, everybody says, oh, this book and, and so forth, the story of Rich. But really, the story of Rich is his heart. I mean, there's not an individual in, in the game that has a bigger heart than yeah. him. And uh, he's just an amazing. The reason he's able to um, to kind of be forefront in the game of golf and continue on and, and tell his story in such a great way is because anybody that knows him knows how big his heart is, and he's just an extremely special individual. Yeah. Um, so as far as PGM programs go, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's really a, been a source of strength for the PGA for a long time. And it's easy to go back and second guess some of the decisions of expanding it so quickly. And, you know, perhaps, you know, graduating from the PGM with, a, as a member of the PGA without having to work in the business uh, per se, other than your internships, there's a lot of, you know, I think honest, kind of conversations we can have and look and say, hey, what was the result of that on the business of golf? But as far as the the program goes, um, you know, for the most part, in my eyes, it's it's been a huge source of strength for a lot of professionals. Um, and that said, Larry, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount going through the traditional way. We have a couple individuals on our team right now that have gone to college. One graduated magna cum laude of, of her school, decided to get in the golf business, and she's going through the traditional way. And I think there's a lot of benefit yeah. to, to a young um, man or woman that's, that's coming up to go pursue a degree in something that they, they want to get a degree in and then come over to the golf business. But um, the PGM's definitely been, you know, for the PGA of America, a uh, significant source of, source of strength. And I know the Education Committee is looking at ways today to how to kind of further meet the demands of our industry, right? You know, we, we, we look at where we are with golf professionals and the game of golf. And, you know, we all like to talk about this thing called work-life balance um, right. that we go right. to too right. a little bit. But, you know, the PGM universities play a critical part. Uh, I think they, they provide a great foundation. And at the end of the day, it's it's about two things, right? It's about all the great things golf represents and it's about relationships. Yep. And the PGM universities do a wonderful job of helping cultivate uh, those relationships and help, you know, for me, this young guy from Miami kind of find his way through the game of golf a little bit too. That's awesome. Um, so, um, and you play obviously in Mexico State, your co-captain your senior year. It sounds like a great experience there in Las Cruces. Um, for a few years and um, long way from Miami, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> but um, that sounds like it's been a great experience. Um, so 
take me through uh, sort of where we go from there. I know you, uh, before we end up getting to uh, congressional, you went to a, a number of different places, kind of, um, I think, the Biltmore, then you were in South Carolina, then Tucker's Point Club, and then back to New Mexico, although up, I think, closer to Santa Fe with Las Campanas. So um, kind of what were those like and 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 uh, your thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, that's going to put everybody to sleep here. But the, the Bill Moore was great. It was my grandfather actually won the club championship at the Bill Moore, so going back there and it's oh, just wow. experience. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I was there for twelve years and worked my way up from literally picking the range and closing the card barn and teaching a few lessons here and there to running the entire golf operation and including the grounds team. And then, you know, I knew I wanted to be in the private club world. I knew I, that that's where my goals were. So for me, I took the first job I could out that offered me a position in, at, at a private club. You know, I took a pretty significant pay cut, kind of bet on myself, as I like to tell the story. Yeah. And then from there, um, Ed Tripp, who is Juan Tripp's son, it's, it's still a mentor to this day. And for those of the listeners that don't know Juan Tripp, kind of he founded Pan Am, founded this really neat part of Bermuda and his family and their family was so instrumental um, in kind of uh, developing, uh, you know, commercial, not only commercial air travel, but tourism in Bermuda. Um, right. And the old Castle Harbor became Tucker's Point, and they did tremendous investment uh, in that property. They brought in Charles Banks to, to kind of build this golf course, which is right next to Mid Ocean. I was the first uh, non Bermudian to take a job in golf oh, wow. Wow. in Bermuda. And kind of my role there for there was three years. My role was a little different. You know, I had 90% of my, my team was union. Uh, we had a couple of team members there on the grounds crew that I oversaw that were there. They were 65 year employees of Tucker's Point. And my job was kind of come in, mentor, coach, and kind of build in the next level of leadership, not just in my mind at Tucker's, but, you know, through the islands, you know, six golf courses. And I was able to, to I think, you know, leave a, a good lasting, you know, kind of mark on, on professionals, which I'm still friendly with today, but also, you know, some of the efficiencies on the grounds team. Um, and it's funny, and, and, and kind of as you look back, you don't really remember any of the progress. You, you remember the relationships, right? You remember sure, the, absolutely. Uh, it was a great, great three years of my life. And Bermuda is an extremely special place. And, and if you haven't been, you, you got to go. And from there, um, you know, there's one job in New Mexico that I would take. And as I was leaving New Mexico, I literally got in the car after college and I drove down I-10 and I probably cried for 10 hours. My mom's like, you're 23 years old. They grow up. And I, I just <laughs> loved it so much. So this job comes open and, um, and I'm one of like 90 applicants and I'm sitting yeah. in Bermuda. And I'm like, there's no way this, this, or I had no connections to this club, but somehow I got an interview and somehow, um, you know, it's a funny story. You talk about captain of the golf team, you know, we co-captain, we were five co-captains and the five co-captains got really, really uh, messed up one night and, and woke up at 6am in a qualifier in the coach's office and a couple of boosters found out. And so we had a, a team match that we played against, you know, Arizona's and all these teams and right, right. coach put us on the B team. And the B team won the golf tournament. So wow. we anointed the five of us anointed ourselves co-captains because of that. And we were all five co-captains. I won't give you the other one's names. I don't know what they're doing right now, but I can tell you that because I, I think I've outgrown that a little bit. I'd like to think of Mrs. Epstein would probably say otherwise. Um, so, so, you know, so, so fast forward to Mexico and the search committee can't make up their mind between me and another uh, person and the, yeah. the, down the street at the club that a couple of the search committee take lessons from are is a pro by the name of Ross Nettles, which wouldn't you know was my college golf coach. Wow. And, uh, he gave me a glowing recommendation despite of all the shenanigans we pulled in college. And so the rest is history. Yeah. And so, you 
know, the, the job here, Congressional comes open. I've been here almost seven years, and it's every time I come through the, the, the gates here, I pinch myself. Um, but the job comes open. I've never been to Maryland before. I don't even apply. Recruiter calls me and says, hey, are you interested? I'm like, yeah, I see the job, but there's no way I'm going to even spin my wheels there. He's like, no, I think your skill set would be a good fit for this athletics position in golf. And so went through an interview process here. And seven years later, I've been able to do some really, really neat things with the leadership team here, the executive group, the board, and the membership. So nothing more American than golf at Congressional. Um, you know, nothing more American in golf, as you say, than, than golf at Congressional. And huge responsibility with a big team to keep developing and mentoring and growing them. But, uh, you know, had a great year and look, definitely looking forward to some downtime here over the offseason. Yeah, uh, hopefully you'll get some, as I know it's been a busy year. Um, yeah. uh before we just get congressional, because there's a lot I want to talk about congressional. I mean, Las Campanas, for people who don't know, I mean, two Jack Nicholas signature courses. I mean, clearly the plum, I think, in New Mexico. So that was neat that you got that. Um, but of course, congressional is iconic. Um, absolutely. And I was funny when you mentioned growing up in um watching Ken Venturi stroke savers on CBS. I mean, Ken Venturi will always, of course, be connected with congressional um and you know barely physically surviving the heat in 1964 and winning and i i can i i know the photos that are there i mean and uh pretty cool right you're sitting there i mean i'm sure there's a lot of things that are cool about congressional but you're sitting there thinking gee i watched this guy you know when i was a kid and now i'm at sort of you know an iconic place that he's a big part of um uh for sure but um, lots of things have been going on at Congressional, um, lots of stuff to talk about. Probably the most significant, uh, and I'm saying this, obviously, I'm 3,000 miles away, but just as an observer, it's got to be Andrew Green's um, significant redo. I mean, it's, as I've sort of, you know, seen it described, it's not really a restoration. It's almost like a renovation in place or a redo in place um, and really significant, got rave, rave reviews. I haven't played it. I did watch it carefully during the KPMG ladies tournament um, last year. So maybe let, maybe let's talk about that because you obviously must have had a front row seat for that project because that was while you were there. Um, what was that like? And um, it just looks great in terms of how it turned out. Yeah, I mean, we, we use the word transformation because he really, Andrew really had a vision that nobody else had for the property. Uh, Andrew lives about an hour from here and he'll tell you this is kind of his major championship venue growing up he worked on the, the crew in the 95 uh senior uh and okay. he's been around his, his brother uh, i think was one of the assistant superintendents here so he's not only you know uh, kind of the the kind of up and coming hot architect uh, i would like to think the best in the business for sure his work shows that but um, he was intimately familiar and then he was here three days a week so it wasn't transactional for him. Right. And, it, and that's, I think, what is so special about Andrew is it's never transactional for him. You can tell uh, every piece of dirt, everything he does, he's intentional with, he cares about. Um, and it really is all the work he does is important work. And uh, he only has a handful of projects going on uh, at a time. He's a kind of a one man show. You know, he's, he's not on the bulldozer to take pictures. He's doing work. And uh, you, know, you talk about you talk about good people um, and, and caring people, and uh, he's he's a special guy. He's just a special guy, and we are really lucky as a club and and to to have had him and to to do the work. The golf course has been 
you know, not just, you know, Golf Digest, Golf Magazine, if you will, and kind of the, the major championship world hosting the KPMG this year, but the members, guests, and you know, everyone who's had a, had a chance to kind of come see the land. Uh, it's amazing. What I, what I love, I think the most for me is when you have folks that have played it maybe five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, and they come back and they just look around in awe. Um, during the uh, Wells, Wells Fargo this year was played down the street at Avenel, which is you know, right. a mile down the street. And Rory popped over on his 33rd birthday. So, uh, you know, myself and, and our general manager and one of Rory's friends and Rory, just the four of us went out for two, three hours, took a putter. Um, there might be video of he and I at a putting contest that I won on set before, but we're not going to get No, no, no. He's, but uh, again, you know, you surround yourself with great people. You talk Ken Venturi, Rory McIlroy, Andrew Green. You know, you talk about the Beamers company. He's been here a bunch, but you, you find great people in this game. And my gosh, you know, if you've never had a chance to spend any time with Rory or see him up close, like what you see on TV is exactly the guy you get. That's and great. as far as champions go, having Ernie, uh, with all the work he's done and represented the game and ambassador and just yeah. all done outside the game uh, to have, you know, Ken Venturi and, and to this day, the Venturi family, um, you know, they're still very involved and in, in such great people played with Matt in, in September. Great. Uh, his son lives out in, in California and, yeah. uh, and to have Rory back, he kept using phenomenal. He couldn't get his head around how different the property was. He's like, I kind of been here before, but I don't recognize it. You know, it was, uh, and just to roll some putts and, and he, what's amazing is his mind is like all the things Andrew talked about for two years in terms of landforms, in terms of classic architecture, in terms of the multitude of different shots, right? All the things we love about classic golf, like he saw them in a, in two minutes and he yeah. picked up on, he yeah. talked about, yeah, we're going to struggle here. Like, why are you going to struggle here? Because, because, because all we, we love flat lies and we, we right. can do anything flat right. lie, but you start moving the terrain and just uh, what a mind and what a guy. And so, you know, when you see those reactions, those authentic reactions from the members, from the members, guests, from, the, you know, the outside world that, that comes and plays congressional, um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's great. It's great to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it is funny having, of all people, have him out there when he sort of lapped the field with his U.S. Open victory, very, very different track than it, than it is today. That, that is, um, that is really neat. Um, the, um, and you know, the reviews, I mean, just watching it, uh, the KPMG tournament, that was quite a tournament. Um, and, um, what are those, uh, and I, you mentioned there's going to be obviously more coming. I think you've got the 2031 PGA, you've got the Ryder cup down the line. Um, and, um, uh, and which will be great. Um, but what's a tournament week like for you as sort of the, host pro like something like the kpmg tournament i mean that must be quite a busy week what are you what's sort of that like for you yeah i mean look it, it's a lot of hours you're here from sun up to sundown plus but ultimately it's kind of like going to the county fair <laughs> you've got the best players in the world <laughs> you've got a badge that you can go anywhere you've got right. great food great buffet you've got all your friends everybody's coming in to see you and the pga does such a great job of managing it and leading it um, and you know, you're, you're, you're on TV here for, th for three minutes, you're doing a little bit of radio, right. you're talking to members. Uh, it's everything we love to do as golf professionals. And then you're hosting the best players in the world at your golf course. So it's, it's all of that. Plus it's so exciting. It's so exciting to watch. Uh, you don't know what story is going to be told, but, uh, you know, you know, it's going to be a really neat one and a special one. And then it's, you know, there's going to be a few broken hearts at the end of the week and somebody's going to be crowned a champion. And, uh, I think of all the things 
the club's really proud of, I think is like congressional is a championship venue, not a tournament yeah. venue. Yeah. And Andrew really reinforced that with his work. And so the relationship we have with the PGA um, is, is a, they're, they're a remarkable organization. They take their championships uh, very seriously. Yeah. And they take great pride and they're, they've been such great uh, partners and, and, you know, that, that tournament week is just a culmination of a lot of work, a lot of meetings, a lot of coordination, uh, a lot of changes, <laughs> a lot of, okay, this is not going to work. We got to do this. Right. Uh, retail's uh, really busy, but you know, it's just, we're all pulling together around the game of golf and uh, it's, it's what we do. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it is great. You know, you kind of just alluded to this, you know, I and, and that is the sense I get that Congressional's membership, and I know it's a big membership, but realizes that they, you know, this is a jewel they have and and they want it to be, you know, played in championships and stuff. Not every golf course of that similar magnitude has that view. I But but fortunately enough, do. I know we've talked with Scott and I and Marion, certainly membership has that view. And, and it's great that Congressional does too, because it's an intrusive thing you know, to have one of these tournaments come, but um, uh, it's it's so rewarding for the game, right? That's what it's sort of all about, that you have these iconic locations and, you know, you can watch someone come up the 18th hole and, you know, maybe think back, well, you may have flipped the holes by now, but maybe think back to Venturi, you know, playing with Ray Floyd and knocking in the putt or Dave Stockton getting up and down and winning the 76 PGA. And, you know, that's the greatness of golf right is the the historical stuff and we're playing you know you know you can say that about maybe Fenway and and Wrigley Field and certain other sports but I mean that's what's great right about the uh, golf is you have these iconic venues yeah and they create memories and and memories last lifetimes so it's um yeah I mean Fred our our gold course is a great golf course but Fred Couples won his first tour event on a playoff on the fifth hole of our gold course and I would say maybe one of the, the you know easiest little par threes you'll play and uh, just knowing every time you walk up to 17t on the blue you look over to five on the goal and you're like you can just imagine you know fred couple's first tournament win in, in pga tour history was right there on that green pretty cool wow right? was that All when little... the camper was played there or was exactly yeah. exactly yeah. yeah so you know really really neat you walk down the hall and you you know I walk down the hall um, I get up and walk around every 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> another story for another day. But you're walking down, you walk down the hall and you, you've got all your champions and you've got your history hall. You've got your own to Ventura. You've got Rory's scorecard. And you never, you know, you always, always take it in, appreciate it, learn something new. And um, yeah, really special history is, it's, it's you know, it's, it's your story, right? And we love to tell our story and we, we, we like to think history is, you know, history is yet to be told. We have so much yet to be told. As you said, we have, uh, you know, a PGA Championship, which has been moved to 2030. We have a Ryder Cup okay. in 2037. We have another KPMG Women's. We have a couple seniors. Uh, we have a PGA Boys and Girls Junior, which is next up in 24. So cool. lots to look forward to. Lots to look forward to. No, absolutely. And, you know, and, and it's great that your members not only want to share, but, you know, put the... Um, the sacrifice of having the club closed for or the course closed for that amount of time to do. I mean, that's not a small thing either. Right. And, um, right. you know, to invest in that and, and um, you know, let Andrew do his thing and, and transform it like that. And, you know, there's some memberships that wouldn't do that. And I mean, it's great that you guys did that. Right. I mean, and, and um, yes. you know, it's uh, that's not a small sacrifice. 
So, and I think though the great clubs understand giving back to the game and there's lots of ways to give back to the game. And that's one of them. And like, what, what's your, um, you know, the, the average kind of golf fan doesn't realize is look, we've got a thousand lockers in our men's locker room. Every one of them, needs to, every one of them needs to be cleaned out. And I'd love to sit here and tell you that every member cleans their locker out. So <laughs> the guys in the locker room, a lot of work there, you know, and so you're putting up stands, you're taking down stands, you've got turf, you know, you've got to move tees around, not to hit uh, set up crews and break down crews. So a lot of coordination, a lot of sacrifice, uh, from what the member's expectation is, you know, the range T closes six, seven weeks ahead of time. So, um, yeah, so it is, it's a huge sacrifice, but, uh, I think when the final putt drops and you see the camaraderie of the members, uh, which, which a huge number have volunteered, have yeah. given to the tournament and the event, uh, and you see the relationships that those, that, that event has cultivated, uh, it's very meaningful. For sure. Um, Maybe let me just sort of slightly shift gears and talk a little bit more about the club, um, because for people who aren't familiar with it, um, it is vast. Um, the clubhouse is, I think, what, 140,000 square feet, probably. Um, the property, um, 36 holes. I think it's, what, 380 acres or something like that. It's a big, sprawling piece of property with an incredible, beautiful huge clubhouse and so when i saw that you were director not only of golf but of athletics i thought about all the different things that must go on at congressional other than golf maybe touch on kind of how that's entered in because that's not not every um not every director of golf is also director of athletics because not every club is like congressional so i'm so sort of curious kind of what that part of your portfolio is like yeah i mean I, my office sits here in the golf um the golf shop and it's actually a hallway my office is a hallway not all golf professionals have big offices with views out the golf course so I'm like literally i'm in this hallway um i think it was a bathroom at one point like 60 years ago but um it works great it works great um but i think you know it, it is it's a huge clubhouse i think it's a it's, you know i think we've got over maybe 180 190,000 square feet under uh under roof we oh, just wow. built okay Even beautiful bigger. new performance center we've got a huge tennis house you know our rackets are growing uh, so fast, our rackets programs. Uh, we've got a you know twelve thousand square foot fitness facility with with uh, you know a Pilates uh, room that's very active and a studio that's very active. We've got both. We've got eight duck pin bowling lanes. Wow, uh, I thought you so had that, the bowling right. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I mean that that's a great you know ten thirty at night. You can go down there and just say Uber, 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 Uber. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> it, and, and the members enjoy it, right? It's, it's you know, COVID was a tough time. Um, sure. There was two or three of us that were coming to the club for those six, seven weeks. And it was weird. I mean, it was, if anyone was in an airport, like one of the first people back in airport, you're walking through the airport and no one is there. Like you're walking right. through the halls of this club because it's so alive, because it's so vibrant. We have maybe, you know, close to ish, 3,500 memberships. And when you count all the kiddos and spouses up, you know, you're almost 8,000 plus members total. Wow. Wow. So it's an active club. Um, but, you know, our, our goal is to make everyone's experience feel small, everyone's experience feel memorable, um, and to make it meaningful. And so I like to tell the team, hey, we're no busier than every 10 minutes on the gold course and four players every 14 minutes on the on the blue course and everyone else we we come in contact to we can make it meaningful for um i am blessed i have the the best team in golf and i have the best team in club i mean hands down uh we, we have great knowledgeable people but we have 
just good people with huge hearts that um, this club means a lot to them. Being part of the team means a lot to them. Their relationships mean a lot to them. And um, it just, it makes what I do, you know, so rewarding. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, our racket's professional. You know, I'm not, I'm not helping Dan too much. You know, Teresa's telling me what's going on. I might help them strategically a little here and there. But I've, you know, surrounded myself with a really smart, high-performing, high-functioning team uh, that we hope, and, you know, Dan's been here 20 years, our racket's professional. He's still a wow. young guy. Wow. That are, you know, it's that continuity the members get to know and everybody just keeps striving to do bigger, better things. I think we all feel this huge responsibility of um, just continuous improvement here at Congressional to, to keep staying ahead of the industry trends, keep gauging the membership and, and exceeding their expectations. And we, we strive for that. You know, we're not sitting on our hands here. Um, but you have a great team. And, you know, all of a sudden the director of athletics position is, you know, it's it's. I, I don't ever feel like it's too much. I, I don't ever feel that it's doesn't, you know, I don't, it's not very meaningful to me. Um, gotten to know most, a lot of the members, which is great after seven years. And so, uh, you know, you're just constantly talking and listening and, and taking temperatures and listening, talking to the board, engaging the board, engaging the different committees. Um, but, you know, the club, over half our members are legacy members. So the club really, I mean, a lot of, clubs and so oh, it feels like family but it really is a family atmosphere and most of our members not all but most have kind of been raised in the area and, and sure. know everyone so it's it's a very close-knit club um which i think you know you know that where that north star is on almost every issue and, and for us it's just about you know the member experience um making making memories um building a great culture building a great team you know we have lots of team members we hope are here for the long haul. And we have a lot of team members that were, that are superstars that we're working on developing so that they can go um, lead their own clubs, whether it's in, in tennis or, or fitness um, or here in golf. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's awesome. Um, uh, I'm sure you have, a, you have a great team. I mean, I, 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 I can imagine, I mean, with this club of your size, you must have a lot of assistance in terms on just on the golf, right? I mean, you probably have some people that focus on teaching maybe and other things. I mean, it must be a pretty big crew, right? Oh yeah. We've got uh, five full-time instructors. And wow. Five full-time instructors. And one wow. of those is a full-time fitter in our new performance center. John Scott Rattan is our director of instruction and John Scott's uh, best in the business. Uh, and so we have a full, we have a two, two person retail team. And then we have another nine, 10, kind of either between full-time or seasonal assistants that help run the golf operation that are exposed to all areas, including teaching. Um, and, and we work together as a team. I mean, we meet almost daily as a team, you know, uh, John Scott's here, here in our office and here in the, the uh, clubhouse a lot. We go down to the performance center a lot. Um, we, we, we all work together. I mean, our, our fitness director is working with our teaching professionals, our teaching professionals are learning from our tennis professionals and programming. You know, we've really, it's really nice to be in charge of them all. Cause I think it's the one thing that I've, I've been able to do that is, has been my, my, probably my greatest success here is just breaking down those silos yeah. and having yeah. and, and working really like it's not the defenses yelling at the offense, right? It's, Hey, we're right. one team. It's right. all hands on decks deck. And we have, you know, special teams, offense, defense, we're running all cylinders. We're communicating, we're talking, we're working together to provide a great experience on all fronts. And it's, it's been magical to see that effect on the membership. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, if it, with with if you're doing fitting there and you've got fitness there and you've got instruction, those all marry together, right? I mean, you know, you can sort of have your fitness guys. What are you working on? And you have the well, you know, Larry needs to get more flexible in A and B. And I mean, I'm sure it's it all which makes it a great member experience. I'm sure. Yeah, we just hired a performance coach about six seven months ago, and Casey's been as busy as he can be. And so there's 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 the demand here. The members love the game; they they want to get better at the game. We have some very good players, uh, so you know you you're, it's a big club, and you've got something a little something for everybody, you know, so that they can find their their way here and and make it feel like home for them. For sure. Do you so with all this going on? Do you get a chance to play much? Yeah, last year I did. This year, nah, not so much. I played I played probably six rounds here and maybe 15 rounds off campus. And traveling, uh, did go to Ireland this year, which was fun. Nice, nice. Uh, it was kind of a COVID trip that was postponed twice. Um, but I, I, have, I do to kind of make a point two or three times a week to go hit balls. Uh, I think, you know, if you ask Mrs. Epstein, what's the one thing I've got to do more of? She's like, you've got to work on your game. You were given a gift and you don't work on it enough. And um, but I, I do make a, make it a goal to play. Um, and, and honestly, I, I can play as much as I want and I, and I love the game. I love being around it for me. You know, I, I enjoy standing on the first tee or walking up and down the driving range, giving a few tips and talking to members. Sure. I love doing that. Right. I, I love it. I think, you know, you bring up a great point though. I think from a, from a playing standpoint and teaching standpoint, I think that members of clubs and members in general. And, and even, you know, if you're listening to this and, and you play at a public golf course, I think golfers love to see their professionals out playing. They love to right. see them on the range. They love to see them hitting balls. Right. And they love to, they love to see them engaged out in the area of, of, uh, of golf. So the more that our profession can do of that, uh, the better off we are. For sure. And I can imagine just in terms of playing at being in a place like Congressional, all the places you've played over the years, I'm sure you must have had some experiences in terms of the people you've met in the game and maybe played with and stuff like that. I mean, any couple notable ones that stick out as you think back over the people you've uh, come across? Oh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. We have we've had Supreme Court justices in the last few years. We've had oh, wow. um, presidents, you know, played with three uh presidents of the of, of um the country over the over not just here but but at other clubs um i gave wow. matt i gave matt dylan golf lessons at the biltmore when he was uh, filming uh, something about mary which was a lot of fun oh um, wow that's going back a ways yeah his dad his dad is actually uh i forget the college but his dad was actually a college golf coach which was a uh, astounding really? to me that's yeah. wow yeah crazy stuff right? crazy little fact there uh, yeah, so I mean, you you know, you're you're exposed to a lot, uh, a lot of athletes, uh, which is a lot of fun, and uh, you know, speakers of the house and so forth. And one thing you know, look, I I'm, I love politics and I love governance, but I would say to a person, um, whether they're they're on the left or the right or whatever, everybody, every experience I've had with these folks has been just wonderful and, and class individuals. Um, you know, I had a, a, a great round of golf with John Boehner, good player, George W. Bush shot 36 on the front nine at Las Campanas. Great player. Did he really? Wow. W shot 36. And I mean, he, he, he kept calling me Eppers, Eppers. And and before he left, I I spent three, four days with him, just kind of following around and, uh, and played, played once or twice with him out in New Mexico. He was there for a week and he said, Hey, Eppers, how many people call you Eppers? I'm just my really close friends. And he goes, how many presidents call you Eppers? 
just you. Uh, but one of the great guys, one of the great guys, and that I've played golf with President Clinton a few times, and uh, I mean, just a gentleman, and, and was fun to play with. Lots of, I mean, he his knowledge, as, as everyone says, his knowledge base is extraordinary, and he asked some of the greatest questions and what he knows about the game of golf going back to the 1890s and early 1900s. Wow! Like, wow! Wait, how does how can how can you know this? Um, so yeah, I mean, just. A great experience. Um, you know, we're, as, as golf professionals, I uh, think a great gift we're all given is accessibility to some really special uh, individuals that, that right. are very successful that we can all learn from in different different ways and just that are really interesting people that kind of enrich, enrich our journey a little bit. And so I've been really lucky to have had that opportunity. Yeah, especially at a place like Congressional. I'm sure, I mean, you know, and uh, with all the politicians and, you know, and, and even someone coming into town, well, okay, I got to play congressional. I mean, I can just, on a, I'm sure daily and weekly basis, you see plenty of notable people from whether it's all walks of, uh, whether it's entertainment or what have you, right? Business, what have yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, look, the club was founded by five presidents of the U.S. and it was kind of established for a place where members of Congress could get away from DC right. and kind of talk business. Uh, and during the war, um, it kind of transformed itself coming out of World War II. Um, we can talk about that a little bit of what happened to the club, which was really interesting, but it became yeah. a family club, became very generational. And kind of going down and handing the club over during the war to the OSS, you know, it came back a family club. And so to today, you know, the politicians, when they're not voting and not in session in D.C., they're out. They're not sticking around. They're going back home to raise money and talk to their constituents right. and so forth. So it, it really isn't a a political club in that sense. Our members yeah. really from the community have uh, deep, trip, deep, um, you know, deep roots in the community. There are a few politicians, but it it's not the same as it was from the 20s and 30s um, by any stretch of the imagination. A very different club today. Um, my my first uh, first time I stepped foot on the club for an interview. I'm on the main hall, which is our basement level. Uh, there's there's actually two levels below our basement level here at Congressional, but, but I've been trying to get that changed, but it's not going to work. Uh, and I'm walking down the hall in my suit and my red tie thinking everyone I run into is going to wear a suit and red tie and four kids in swimming suits soaking wet are running down the main hall from the end of the pool. So I'm like, okay, this okay, this is a real place. This is a real place. So that was kind of cool. It is. So you, you alluded to the military connection a little bit. Let's maybe talk about that and explain to people kind of how that relates to Congressional's history. Yeah, I mean, a really special part of our history and something the club is is so proud of and continues to kind of invest back into. But in for in World War II, the club was kind of on the verge of failing. And the um, the government came in, the Office of Strategic Services came in and took the club over. They basically cleaned everything out and took the club over and used the club for all of the training for the clandestine um, missions for wow. World War II. Yeah, wow. a lot of ammunitions pair of jumpers and all 400 acres here were, you know, I think it turned out somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,800 or 3,000 um, troops that really contributed behind enemy lines to yeah. winning winning World War II. So yeah. a really special and unique part of the country's history. Uh, the OSS um, today is the CIA. Right. And, uh, you know, you you to sit in our main dining room and to, to just imagine that was the mess hall. And, you know, General Donovan uh, was here. Uh, not a lot of remnants. We've got a little ode to it in the, the in our hallway. We've got a, a statue of the general and we've got a flagpole with a plaque. 
Um, a few years back, it was really neat. Um, Congress awarded the OSS, um, an OSS group, the Congressional Gold Medal. And then we had a great ceremony here uh, that they presented uh, a replica of that to the club for its service. Cool. But not something that's talked about enough, uh, but the connection to the nation's military here is very strong. It's very real, real and continues to this day. We were kind of the flagship program for PGA Hope uh, and continue yeah. to have a, not only a strong program here uh, regionally, but every year uh, as part of our agreement with the PGA of America. And perhaps the most special part of it is that we host the annual week of wellness, the national week of wellness here where veterans from around the country come to kind of, they become ambassadors for the game of golf, for kind of the mission of hope and uh, rehabilitating veterans. Um, and then, you know, we talk about this a lot and, and Chris Nowak is, is uh, an amazing person. He's uh, kind of the PGA Hope lead for the PGA of America, um, but it saves lives. And when you get uh, letters and, and from veterans that said, hey, I haven't been out of my house in four years uh, since my husband died and your program got me out of the house or I was going to kill myself and the game of golf has saved my life and, and pages and pages of letters, you know, it's it's really humbling. But that giving back through through the game and, and through the military is an extremely powerful thing and something the club, you know, again, continues to do to this day. And it, it couldn't be more proud and Proud of proud of the membership, proud of the club, and proud of our team for for taking part in it. Oh, that is really cool. I was I was not aware of the OSS or any of those connections. That's very very cool. Um, you know, it makes me wonder. Just listening, to that, you, do you guys have a club historian or some or historian group? You must being congressional, right? Yeah, we do. We're actually working our hundredth year is uh, in about you know what May of twenty four will be our hundredth year. So. We're working all with a club historian and telling the story, telling our story, and, and producing a, a great book that will be uh, extraordinary, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, they have the history. They, it's good that they do. Um, you know, I, I one thing I you know want to ask you, and I've asked a lot of your colleagues um, at similar elite clubs that we've had on the podcast recently is the um, the Golf Digest article from earlier this year, which I'm sure you saw about you know, the profession, the golf uh, pro profession, uh, club pro profession was, um, you know, painted a kind of dark picture of it. And I mean, you mentioned work-life balance a little bit earlier and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just sort of curious if you, you know, if you were talking to someone, um, you know, a, uh, a young Aggie on the North New Mexico team, uh, you know, who was interested in the PGM program and wanted to do it, um, kind of what would you say, you know, advice or, and kind of how you view the profession, you know, from someone who's starting out these days? Yeah. I mean, this is where it's good that I'm not on Twitter or Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> this is a safe space. So don't worry. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 I spent a lot of time at the golf course and I did it because I've never worked a day in my life. I love what I do. I love being here. And like, this is home for me. Like, and there, there's just, you know, uh, my wife is the best. I've got three kids that I can't spend enough time with. But when you find something you love to do and you want to make it career, you, your career, it's not to say we don't have frustrating days and we don't fail, make mistakes. And, you know, the world corrects me just as much as it corrects anybody else. But it's, but I love, I love what I do. So 
I also believe that I wouldn't be sitting here as the director of golf and athletics at Congressional if I didn't invest a lot of time, energy, and effort into my craft, into learning, into failing, into making mistakes, into building big things, into taking chances, into spending the hours parking the carts late at night with the cart attendant so I could understand his what were his drives and motivations and values and being there every morning for the women so I so they could rely on me and that just raised my confidence. And, and so I, I don't know, I look at it a little bit more globally. I think there's a lot of people that, that the, the business appeals to, but that they don't really love it. And then they get into it and they're kind of like, ah, you know what, it's a bit transactional to me and that's okay. You know, I was reading uh, some statistics a couple of days ago that, you know, the average baby boomer in, I think from 67 to 74, and I'm going to get this precisely wrong, from the time they're 18 to 24 held 5.5 jobs, right? So you fast forward that today, and we think that these folks are jumping around like crazy, but literally, you know, our, our parents held more jobs perhaps than the folks do today. I, I look at it more globally. I look at it as if you want to be successful at something, you want to be great at something, you want to be elite at something and be, you know, at the top of your game, you're going to have to put, put work into it. You're going to have to put time, energy, and effort into it. Um, I've got a team here that, um, you know, we do have certain individuals that are like, hey, I need a couple weekend days off and so forth. And we have individuals that I can't keep away from here. And I would just say, you know, if you're going to be a lawyer, if you're going to be a doctor, if you're going to be an accountant, if you're going to be the best barista in the history of the world at Starbucks, which is what Allie Epstein wants to do um, when she grows up, she's 11. I don't drink coffee. She's addicted to coffee. I don't think that's a good thing. That's probably a, a failed parenting. But, uh, but, but I'm here to tell you, you know, I tell my kids this, you got to put, you got to put the time in, you got to put the energy in, you got to put time in to get good grades in school. You got to put time in it to, to be a good, good player. And, and other people are doing that. So um, you, I like to think of it as you, you have to be off balance. Like if you're not off balance, you are, you're not going to be successful. And that off balance right. means when you're at work and you're concentrating on your craft, you have to be all in there. But then yeah. when you go home and when you're with your family or you're taking those two or three days off or you're on vacation, you have to be off balance there too. I think that's a way more healthy way of looking at it. Um, and I would, you know, and I think there's, there's look, this is a whole separate, you know, hour and, and conversation on, on the PGA and professionals and, and how we've introduced people to the game and the expectation level and the amount of assistance and PGA members. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but I think from a, just being great standpoint, um, you know, I encourage our team to be off balance. I'm going to give you as much time as you need off, but, but I hope at the end of the day, you know, if you love this game and want to be around this game, you realize that, you know, we, we, the members are here on the weekends, the members are here on holidays, and that's why we're, we're providing our magic um, and it provides deep meaning, deep learning, um, and ultimately success in what we do. You know, that is super, super well said. And and not not to make you talk for another hour about it, but I mean, you yeah. actually kind of talked, tipped on something I was actually going to ask you, um, and and which is, you know, obviously you're, you're placed at Congressional, you're nationally known in the PGA and stuff. I mean, what role can the PGA play, do you think, in sort of helping on some of this stuff, um, you know, on, uh, or if, if at all? Because um, I 100% agree with everything you said. I think having the passion, and and I like the, the off-balancing is a good way to sort of say it, right? Because if you're kind of just on cruise control, you probably don't have the passion. You're probably maybe not doing what you should be doing. So, I mean, is there any kind of role you see for the PGA in this, or is this just kind of 
something that's more of an individual, um, you know, uh, the head golf guy needs to mentor his staff and leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, look, the PGA is great at raising awareness. They're high profile. I think there's there's a lot of messaging that can go out there. I just think that from an educational standpoint, which I think we 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 talk so much about the golf swing. We yeah. talk so much about technology. We talk so we're still educating on how many times you need to fill a cart with water and how many times the air has to circulate in a cart park, right? Right. So, <laughs> you know, and maybe those things, those things are probably important, but but I think where we could be talking about is how do we set boundaries? How do we set the narrative? How do yeah. we function yeah. in, in, in not just private clubs, but public golf courses and sure. resorts? How do we have conversations with with leaders um, and how do we have those conversations? I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Perhaps um, the good news that I can tell you for, as, as a member of the uh, National Employment Committee um, that, that, listen, I sit and learn from from some of the best in the industry on that on that uh, on that group is that it is very much a conversation with the PGA of America and its leaders. Um, and I think Jim did a wonderful job there. And I think John and Don and Nathan um, are extraordinary leaders. They've got a lot of charisma and a lot of passion. Uh, I think, look, Seth is an invaluable resource to our organization, sure. Oh, sure. Uh, the relationships he has. And so you have a lot of leaders at, uh, at HQ and you have this new wonderful facility that's created a ton of momentum around our uh, organization. Um, I think the one thing that HQ has to consistently pivot to is to the member. How are we, and that's their mission statement, right? How are we enriching the lives of the member? And, and you know, you hit the nail on the head, Larry. It's, this is a big part of it. Um, you know, we can talk about um, time off. We can talk about jobs. We can talk about what we're doing in our jobs. We can talk about compensation, right? Look at the compensation level uh, for, for most professional jobs you see posted isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Um, right. Then, you know, you, you take all of that and then you, oh, by the way, we're going to pile 20% more work on you. 30% <laughs> more work post COVID, yeah. um, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely from a messaging and understanding standpoint, I think that the, the PGA, there's a role to play there, but I also think a big part of that is educating our, our golf professionals on what healthy boundaries look like, what conversations look like, what empowerment looks like, but, but not taking the easy way off saying, Hey, you should be getting two weekend days off every week. And, and you right. need that to be successful because I, I don't, I, I don't believe in that. Yeah, no, I, I all, all well said. And um, speaking of important leaders, Jason, you're obviously one of them. This has been great um, talking with you. I, I can see the passion. I'm not surprised that you're at um, a place as elite and as iconic as congressional. They're lucky to have you. I really appreciate you spending the time with us and um, getting a chance to chat with you. And um, if you're ever out here in L.A., let me know. Um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely tee it up. Larry, the last time I was in LA, I took a train from Albuquerque and it was on the back end of a stretch across the country. And my wife swore to me, it would be, she got me this beautiful cabin that was great and whatever. And it was uh, all night. I thought tr a train was coming through my cabin from the other <laughs> side. So I will tell you that if I come out there, I will definitely look you up. We'll play some golf, but it will be, I will, I will not be on a train. So uh, I, I, <laughs> I hope you're, I, 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 you know, Lots and lots of nonstops from Dallas to LAX. I promise you, you won't be on a train. Uh, but this has been great. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the holidays and have a good new year. And thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you for everything, Larry. You too.